Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Chris Gordy, who of course is the host of the Locked On SEC podcast and friend of the show. And Chris, it's always good to catch up with you, man. How you doing this afternoon? Yeah, I don't know what happened, man. I mean, and then there was one. Like, I, I'm I'm trying to decide what to do with my SEC podcast. Like, do I just talk nothing about Arkansas because there's a lone team standing? I know Vandy and A&M are still alive in the NIT, but what the heck happened? It was a bloodbath over the weekend. Yeah, I know. And, and the thing is, is that, uh, you know, Arkansas being the last one standing, it's not that I would have been said, oh, I'd be surprised if Arkansas was the last one. But I think it was the fact that Arkansas was the last one in the Sweet 16, as in no one else made it to the Sweet 16. If you would have told me that Arkansas would have been the only team from the SEC to make it to the Sweet 16, I would have thought you were crazy. So <clears throat> what happened? Like, what what did the SEC do wrong? Well, Kentucky just picked uh, a night to not play their best, especially defensively. It was a lot of Ole defense against St. Peter's. And, you know, somebody said to me earlier today, if St. Peter's and Kentucky play 100 more times, Kentucky probably went 90-95. I mean, it was just one of those nights where everything went St. Peter's way. I mean, I had Kentucky winning at all my bracket. That was just based on what I saw from them throughout this season. I thought this was one of the better teams that John Calipari's had in recent years, and they go out and lose one and done. The LSU loss was no surprise. I mean, you know, you fire Will Wade. They were already an undisciplined group to begin with, and so that was not a surprise, losing to Iowa State, although I didn't think very highly of Iowa State, and now they're in the Sweet 16. So it's what it is there. Alabama just played a, a Notre Dame team that was shooting lights out. I mean, they were something like 10 for 16 from three. Like, it's just it's one of those nights where you tip your cap and go, hey, you guys are better. Congrats. But, uh, no, I, I would say Auburn, Tennessee, and Kentucky are the most disappointing. Like, for, for Auburn and Tennessee to lose in the second round, particularly Auburn, like, Bruce Pearl may never have a, a group that talented again at Auburn. So to, to lose in the second round like that, I think that's highly disappointing for them. But, hey, man, the must bus rolls on, and it is, uh, it is in Arkansas we trust now. You're, you're, you're representing for the whole conference. When we see this happen with other conferences in the NCAA tournament, even if we're talking maybe college football, we see like certain conferences have been the best all season. The first question that's asked is, is this conference overrated? Were they overrated throughout the season from what we saw? So I think a fair question to ask here is, was the SEC overrated in basketball this year? No. I mean, I, th- I thought it was actually a really good year. The fact that, you know, uh, you can make a strong argument A&M deserved to get into this tournament. They should have had seven teams in the tournament. Uh, I just think, like I said, there was just some extenuating factors. If Will Wade doesn't get fired, I think LSU beats Iowa State in that first-round game. Um, you know, and like I said, Kentucky and Alabama are two teams that should have won. Um, you know, I, you just, it's the tournament guys. I mean, this is what it is. And, and this year we saw more than anything across college basketball that, um, you know, parody is a big thing and anybody can beat anybody on any given night. You know, I was listening to a podcast today saying, Oh, Gonzaga, I mean, they, they should run away with this game. No, like any given night, if Arkansas comes out there and executes, they can beat anybody in the tournament. They can win the whole damn thing. So, um, you know, it's, we can overreact and talk about, all oh, the Big Ten this, the Big 12 that, but I just think ultimately, you know, when the tournament is really good and we have some really good teams, there's always going to be upsets. There's always going to be teams losing. And so, uh, you know, we could say it was overrated, but then watch next year, the SEC could have three teams in the Sweet 16. So, um, you know, I'll never hold the tournament results 
you know, on the whole results of the season. Because this was a really good season for SEC basketball. I mean, think about it, guys. We, when, when conference play started, how many teams were, like, LSU was undefeated. You know, so many teams had, like, one or two non-conference losses. Like, I, I thought it was a strong year for the SEC. Now, Chris, uh, you mentioned Arkansas and against Gonzaga and how you say, no, they could totally win, which, you know, we've talked about it back and forth. And, you know, we've we said on this show that uh, we, we don't like Arkansas's chances in this one just because Gonzaga is so good, but we also can see Arkansas winning because they have faced really good teams before and have found ways to win, and especially going in with a good game plan. What do you make of the matchup, and do you believe that Arkansas can actually win this game? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to have to bring their A game defensively like they did against New Mexico State. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if the Razorbacks will be shooting 25 free throws again because I don't know if Gonzaga is going to follow them any times, but I think Arkansas just got to turn up the intensity on the defensive side and, and make Gonzaga work for everything. I mean, you cannot give up anything. But, you know, on the offensive side, they need J- good J.D. Note. And we've had good J.D. Note in the past couple games. We did not, you know, against A&M in the SEC uh, tournament. But, uh, you know, as he goes, so goes Arkansas, is what I've said all season long. And, you know, I think if he scored in the 20s, 22, 23, 24 points, and the rest of the guys are doing what they're supposed to be doing, and, Jalen Williams is pulling down 14, 15, 16 rebounds. I, I, I think we'll look back at the end of the night and say Arkansas did all they could. But, yeah, they, they just they have to defend and uh, at an elite level. And, and they have been really good defensively for much of this year. Uh, obviously, that ramped up against the, an inferior New Mexico State team the other night. But, yeah, I think they just got to come out. And, 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 and we'll know early on, right? Like, if, if, if Arkansas is able to get some momentum, get some shots falling, J.D.'s getting to the rim, and you know, and they they jump out at seven to two or something like that. You'll know early a good tone setter on, on how Arkansas is going to play in this one. Because yeah, if, if they're having to play catch up all night and Gonzaga gets an early lead, and you know you're down six, and then you're down eight. I just, it, it, to my mind, it would be hard for Arkansas to come back. But yeah, set the tone early defensively. Arkansas was one of the top SEC teams all season, and of course they beat some of the other top SEC teams: Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn. If you had to compare Gonzaga to one of those other top teams, who do they most mirror in uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn? Gosh, I mean, from a, like maybe not from a style standpoint, but just talking about like dudes everywhere. I mean, Kentucky and Kentucky and Auburn both uh, were comparable talent wise, right? I mean, just having dudes everywhere that can that can shoot, that can play. I mean, it's just. This team is just like they have the championship pedigree, right? I mean, they they were there just a year ago, and um, you know they they lost three games all year. So you're literally asking them to to do something that they would only have done for the fourth time all season long. Uh, that said, I thought Memphis had a pretty good attack on Gonzaga, like how they played in that game. And Memphis had some very you know some guys who were going to be in the NBA next year and, and some comparable four-star, five-star athletes. Like, I thought Memphis put up a pretty good fight against them. Now, Georgia State didn't do anything, so I, I threw that game out the window. But I think Memphis kind of showed a, a pretty good game plan on how to attack them, uh, you know, pull, pull down rebounds, fight hard for everything. And, you know, of course, the big Timmy guy is the guy who, who everybody remembers. Feels like he's been there uh, 20 years at Gonzaga. Um, you know, who do you put on him? Who, who's defending him throughout this game? Do you, you know, how do you do switching? I think all that stuff will be interesting to see. But, yeah, I mean, this will be, yeah, most likely the, the most talented team that Arkansas sees all year. But, but don't let that intimidate you. Yeah, one thing that uh, we were also talking about this game, Chris, is, 
you know, the fact that Arkansas had to travel up to Buffalo playing those games and uh, against some Northeast teams being in that uh, region up there, even though they're in the West region, and then they have to travel out here to San Francisco uh, where they're going up against Gonzaga, who's pretty used to the Pacific time zone. Uh, how much do you think that that factors into travel and, and location and all that when it comes to these tournaments? And do you feel like that could play a factor in this Arkansas-Gonzaga game? I think it, I think it has a little to do with it. I mean, that is a pretty dramatic travel schedule to go from Arkansas up to up to New York, you know, northern New York, and then all the way back out you know, to the west coast of the Bay Area. I think it takes a little toll on you. We, we were just talking here locally, uh, uh, our, our, our radio station here in Houston, we carry the Houston Cougars, and, you know, they were talking about what a toll it was on them to, to play on Sunday night, uh, to get the win, come back to Houston, um, you know, be great. Well, I, granted, it was, it was Sunday afternoon, but they got back here Sunday night. They had a big greeting with everybody, getting off the buses at like 7, 8 o'clock. Their, their plane got delayed. They got here, they, they went to sleep, they had a practice Monday, and then early this morning they were on a plane heading out to San Antonio to go start practicing. I mean, it, it's, the tournament is such a quick turnaround, especially when you're playing those Thursday games. It's just like, man, you get no break, no rest. Um, yeah, I think it could be a factor. I, I think fatigue and, and everything, you know, being out of sorts, I could certainly see that happen on Thursday uh, at the start of the game for Arkansas. Break down what you see in a couple of players on each side as to what makes them so good. J.D. Note for the Razorbacks and then Chet Holmgren for Gonzaga. Yeah, well, Holmgren is, I mean, I mentioned I'm here in Houston. They're like literally Rockets fans every day are talking about what Chet Holmgren's done and what he looks like. Yeah, it, it, like I, I didn't really get to see him extensively throughout the year until the postseason. And I'm looking at him out there. He looks like a baby deer. Like he literally looks like he weighs 35 pounds and like, uh, my God, like, eat something, bro. Let's get some meat on the bone. <laughs> He's just so skinny. Uh, that's where I think, I mean, you, you mentioned J.D. I, I'll be curious to see Jalen Williams. Like, what? I think Jalen Williams, the way that he takes charges and the way he's able to battle off, you know, defensively for rebounds and all, that's the battle I want to see. Like, you're literally talking Chet Holmes is going to be a top five pick in the NBA draft against Jalen Williams. That's the, that's the matchup I want to see. But uh, on the flip side, yeah, who, who defends? JD and and again you know how hard do they make it on on JD because let's be real JD's had some some games this year where he's not shot at a you know a high percentage you know where it's you know he's five for eighteen or six for twenty or whatever um, you know I'm curious to see how they're going to defend in, him and attack and do they double team you know what 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 does Gonzaga do defensively to try to slow him down but yeah for, for me the one I'm looking at is, is down low and, and seeing what what Holmgren does against Jalen and then. You know, of course, the tip, like I said, Timmy, you know, he's that guy just feels like he makes threes whenever he takes a shot. So he's another one to keep an eye on. But yeah, I mean, Gonzaga's just, uh, their starting five is just so, so talented. Chris, what do you make of the coaching carousel in the SEC, where some coaches were fired, some coaches have already been hired, some places are still looking for coaches? Just what's your overall opinion on the. Set the setting of what the coaching carousel looks like for the SEC. Yeah, I think I think everything's filled now. Um, you know, it, it, it was an interesting offseason because you know, look, we, we knew Tom Crane was going to get fired at uh, at Georgia. It just it never it never panned out. I mean, even what was it two years ago? He gets the number one player in the country, and then they they still underperform. So that didn't work. But what I found so interesting, guys, is all these names that, that just got hired the last couple of day, days. The overwhelming trend is it's a lot of mid majors. 
It's a lot of mid, mid-major, up-and-coming coaches. And it's just a little bit different from what we saw the last big hiring with, uh, or, you know, whim from the SEC. You know, you had Eric Musselman, who, yeah, he was at Nevada, but, I mean, had an, an NBA experience. Then you had uh, Tom Crane, who, you know, made a deep run with Indiana. You had Bruce Pearl, who obviously had the great years at Tennessee. You had Ben Howland, who took UCLA to all these Final Fours. I mean, it was like all these big Flash higher names, you're going, wow, these are such big names coming to the SEC. And now you talk about this round with Matt McMahon at LSU and Chris Jans at Mississippi State, Dennis Gates at Missouri. And well, I mean, like, I'm, I'm literally having to Google who these guys are when their names are popping up. I'm like, who the hell are these guys? It, it, it's an interesting, it's a different approach. Uh, you know, Todd Golden at, at Florida. They're going with the young, at least in Todd Golden's case, the young up and comer analytics driven guy, which Chris Jans. Yeah, he's a little bit older, but he's you know he's the old school uh, pound it, pound the rock, play good defense at New Mexico State. So I mean, it's it's all very different styles and it's different approaches, but it's all these guys that are kind of they've never been on the big stage before versus that last round of hires where it felt like everybody had been on the big stage before. Hey, Chris, uh, wanted to ask you because you you tweeted out about Malik Willis's pro day. And uh, you connected a few different teams to them, Lions, Texans, Giants, Panthers, Falcons, and Steelers. And you even went so far as to say that maybe he's a, a top eight pick now. He's locked that up. So what, what did you see from Malik Willis, maybe from watching some of the film, but from his pro day, that makes you think he's a top eight pick? Yeah, I mean, I was I was down at the Senior Bowl uh, a few weeks back and just seeing him in person. I mean, one, he was, he was a little bit shorter than I thought. But, man, when you see the guy, he's got all the intangibles that you want and then everything that you want a quarterback on the field, too. Um, you know, obviously the viral video of him giving close to a homeless guy on the street. I mean, it, the more and more you start to hear from people, it's like, all right, this dude is not going to last. Like, you know, some of the boxer ass had him middle to first or late first, and people are like, oh, the Steelers can get him at 20. No, Malik Willis, you know, if you get to see any of the clips today, it's pro day. I mean, throwing bombs all over the field. He's got the, uh, you know, the, the the legs, the athleticism, the ability to tuck it and run it. I just look at, you know, a, a few weeks ago, you had teams that were picking in the top ten that didn't have needs at quarterback, like in you know, the Falcons had Matt Ryan and the, uh, you know, the, whoever. Like you had teams that the, the Seahawks, you know, they were they were a team that a few weeks ago had Russell Wilson. Now they have a quarterback need. So I just think, you know, if the Lions don't take him at two because Jared Goff stinks. If the Texans don't have him at three because maybe they're not fully sold on Davis Mills, and the Giants, they said they're giving Daniel Jones another chance, but you're really going to pass on Malik Willis twice at pick five and seven? And then I just think it's inevitable. The Panthers at six and the Falcons at eight, both monster needs a quarterback. And by the way, Malik Willis is from Atlanta, so, I mean, it just makes sense that the Falcons start their rebuild around him. Yeah, I just Malik Willis is not going to go past pick eight in this year's draft. Well, Chris, I know that uh, you are, of course, covered a lot in Houston and deal a lot with the Texans. What was your overall thoughts on the whole Deshaun Watson situation and him signing that huge deal with the Cleveland Browns? It, it feels a little dirty. I mean, uh, it, it does just because of what he's gone through the last year and a half and, you know, whatever you want to believe. If you want to believe, you know, these, these 22 allegations of these masseuses wide and they made it all up and they're just trying to chase him for money – or if you really believe that, you know, he did something nefarious there, but, you know, grand jury just decided there wasn't enough evidence to indict him. 
Um, it's what it is. I mean, everybody's got their own opinions, but the reality of it is the NFL, they only hold you to a standard of legal issues from, to a standpoint of criminal charges. Oh, you, you know, you're not going to jail. All right. We'll give up everything in the form to trade for you. He still does have 22 civil lawsuits pending, but basically all it's going to come out of that is, oh, okay, he'll, he'll be found guilty and he'll owe a, you know, a certain amount of money and he'll write a check and it'll be done with. Um, the Cleveland Browns are, are putting their reputation on the line, saying, look, we're going to take a chance on him and, and uh, try to make him the face of our, of our franchise, even though it's pretty suspect to have 22 alleged lawsuits of, you know, I don't want to say sexual assault because they're not all sexual assault, but at minimum there were a few of, you know, solicitation of prostitution, you know, even at, at bare minimum going into a massage and asking for something more than a massage. So, it's not it's not a good look, but I know this, at least from a Houston perspective, they're happy to be done with him. And, and I think they did a great job getting three first-round picks. That never happens. I mean, Herschel Walker is like one of the few times that a team gave up three first-rounders for a player. So uh, the Texans have turned the pace. They're moving forward and they're rebuilding for the future. And I'll just throw up this out there, guys. Talking to some people here in Houston, they were saying today at pick three, they could they can get you know one of the big offensive linemen whether it's Evan Neal from Alabama or you know somebody else but they were saying that 13th pick from Cleveland don't be surprised if they go wide receiver and man a lot of the guys in that department like what they saw to Traylon Burks so I, I said sign me up for that right now if we could get Traylon Burks uh, in Houston to go with Davis Mills at quarterback I think that'd be a fantastic weapon for him. Hey, Chris, we got about a minute left, but the guy that's on the other end of uh, everything that happened with Deshaun Watson is Baker Mayfield. So what do you see ultimately happening with him? Because some of these opportunities are closing where he would possibly get traded to. Do you see him getting traded or you see the Browns having to release him because there's not going to be that interest anymore? I think they can. I think they can trade him. I mean, Seattle is the one that makes the most sense because of their opening. Um, you know, Atlanta's going full rebuild. I, I thought Carolina would have made sense, but even Carolina put out a basically a message today that they're not interested in him. So it sucks. I like Baker Mayfield a lot in college. I liked him his first year in, in the NFL. I thought he was taking a step forward. Uh, I got to meet him at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Nice guy, but um, it sucks. But I, I don't think they're going to cut him. I think they can still get something for him. But, man, who knows? I mean, Matt Ryan gets traded for a middle-round pick. It's just crazy. I can never figure out what trades are worth anymore because uh, they, they continue to underwhelm me on, on what teams get back in return these days. Well, Chris, we appreciate you joining us, man. Enjoy the rest of March Madness, all right? Yeah, man. Go Hawks. We're all Hawks fans across the SEC now. <laughs>